We are continuing in our series on the parables, and the parable that we've chosen today is, um, it sound, if we read it with modern eyes, it sounds really, really harsh. But when we get to it, I want you to think of it as Jesus doing improv comedy, because that's what I think is going on. But before we get to that, I want to take, take a quick poll of, not poll, I want some answers, some interaction from the audience. Um, Sometimes we ask the question, like, what's the greatest gift you've ever gotten? I want to ask you today, what's the greatest gift you've ever given to somebody else? Let's hear it. Your time. That's good. Time. I didn't hear too many people once. The gospel. What else? Patience. All right, you guys are being too, uh, too uh, actual gifts, like they unwrapped it. <laughs> iPad and iPad, yes. What else? Huh? Serve. Yes. What else? Family trip. Some of you dudes should be saying engagement rings, but uh... there you go. Hey, a used GameCube. That was a great gift. That was my first gift from Adrian after we got married. Okay. Now imagine you're giving this person this greatest gift that you're so happy, you think it's perfect for them, you're so excited to give it to them, and they take it, they immediately turn around and throw it in the trash. How would you feel? Not great, right? That's an extreme thing that wouldn't really happen, but it's kind of exactly what Jesus is teaching in this parable in Matthew 18. So if you've got a paper Bible, you can open it up. We'll have it on the screen, but I know it's a little hard to see because the screen is down for our play later. But I'm actually going to invite Toby Walker to come up, one of our amazing students here at FCC. And he's going to read our passage from Matthew 18 this morning. Welcome, Toby. Thanks for reading to us today. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, <laughs> Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a, ki is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he became the set settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Please be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he, w he found one of his servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and, and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went to tell their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all your debts, all, canceled all the, the de that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Thank you, Toby. Okay, now remember, it sounds harsh, especially at the end there, but I want to explain to you in a little bit why it's comedy. 
Okay. The first thing I want to point out is Jesus' use of hyperbole. This is one of the many things that Jesus is really good at. He, was, he, he captivated audiences with the way that he spoke because he would use word pictures to get people's imagination. And he would say things, extreme things, say things in an extreme way so that you would understand the point he was trying to make. So Peter asks him, how many times should I forgive someone who has sinned against me? And he, he asks up to seven times. And for Peter, he's like, Seven seems generous. Seven. Yeah, that's, I can do that seven times. But after that, mm. and so what does Jesus say? He says, not seven, 77. Some actually, uh, some translate this 70 times seven, which quick math. Who's got the quick math on that? 490 times. So which is it? Are we supposed to forgive 70 times or 490 times? Or is that not the point, Right. Jesus isn't giving us a formula, an actual number of how many times we're to forgive one another. In fact, he's, what he's doing is making a joke of it. Peter says this thing like, hey, seven seems reasonable. And Jesus says, how about 77? How about 70 times seven? How about 490? What do you think about that? And his point is to say, not that we, we have an actual number of times we forgive each other. He's teaching us a principle, or actually better than principle, he's teaching us a posture. You are to be people of forgiveness. Jesus' next set of hyperbole comes through the story again. He, he's, he's doing this ancient comedy improv. And if you've ever been to a good improv, what do they do? They take a, a prompt from the audience, right? And then they make a whole scene on the spot right then and there using that prompt just off the top of their heads. And that's what Jesus is doing. Peter asks a question, and that's Jesus' prompt. And he's got a point that he wants to make. And so he tells this ridiculous story that would probably have made his audience laugh because it's just silly. The, 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 the extremeness of the words that he's using is silly. And sometimes I think we, we read the Bible, um, and, and if we had a narrator voice in our head for how Jesus sounds, it's like, all right, you sinners, time for me to tell you all the things that are wrong with you. Like, he's very serious and robotic and, like, just mechanical. But he's a real person, and he's hanging out with his friends, and it's like, hey, Let's talk about these things. Let's laugh about these things, but let's understand who God is and what he wants from us. They're telling stories. They're laughing. He wants us to understand God's heart and how we can respond to it. And this is a ridiculous story. It just is. It's, it's, it's an amazing story, but it's crazy. You have this guy that we now call the unmerciful servant, and he has this incredible debt. Pastor Ty did a great job last week of telling us uh, about the parable of the talents. That's the way a lot of translations have it, the parable of the talent. Talent we now translate as a bag of gold because it was a sum of money, a lot of money. And in this parable, uh, other translations will say he owed 10,000 talents. And if we were trying to figure out that, it's based on like a day's wage and uh, how that translates to our time. Essentially what Jesus is saying, if we were to translate this into our modern time and currency, this guy owes the king $10 billion. It's a lot of scratch, right? talking about an incredible amount of debt, an insane amount of debt, an impossible amount of debt to repay. And you see why the king in the story initially, the one who's owed a huge debt, you see why he is initially angry and just wants to get rid of this guy. His punishment is that he's going to sell his wife and his children and everything that he owns in order to get back something because he's not getting anything back otherwise. You know, when they at this time, the way that, the, 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 that it worked is if you were sold into slavery, at best, you would, the, the person selling you would receive one talent. So this guy is saying, 
10,000 talents or a $10 billion, and I'm going to get back maybe four to 10 talents by just selling this guy and everything he owns, right? He's willing to cut his losses because the servant has been so careless, so unwise, so disrespectful. I am blown away by the silliness of this story in that, in that $10 billion. Like, if we were to sit around and imagine, like, how would you rack up $10 billion in debt? Like, it would be really hard to do to rack up $10 billion in debt. Like, what? I, I can't even wrap my mind around it. You could buy uh, an English Premier Football League for $1.5 billion. You could buy a team, a soccer team, for $1.5 billion. And you go and explain to the guy, hey, I owe you 10. You know, I spent like $1.5 billion on an English Premier League team. So I'll get it back to you. Yeah, but what about the other $8.5 billion? Like, how did you rack up this debt? It's crazy. But one thing is for sure, if somebody racks up that kind of debt on you, do they respect you? Do they honor you? Are they grateful for you? This king has been so patient up to this point. But this guy begs for forgiveness, and the king shows him grace. He goes on his way, and he comes across someone who owes him money. He chokes him. And instead of showing the same grace and forgiveness that the king has just shown him, he has the guy thrown in a debtor's prison. And some translations say it's for, you know, we have 100 pieces of silver, 100 denarii. What this means is 100 days wages. One denarii would be equal to one day's wage. So he for, he's forgiven a debt of $10 billion, but he won't forgive a debt of 100 days wages, literally a million times more he's been forgiven. It's crazy. The king forgave your debt, which is a million times more than this guy owes you, and you have the audacity not to extend the same kind of forgiveness. See, if Jesus' parables, some of them are confusing, and he does that on purpose. This one, he's not being confusing. He's using extreme language so that we understand his point. Every one of us has sinned against God over and over and over again. If God is keeping a ledger of every single action or word or thought that we have that's in rebellion to him, that's in rebellion to his goodness, everything we ever did to hurt others, his children, everything we ever did to his good creation, our debt would be in the billions, right? And when we do Discovery Bible study, one of the first questions we ask about the text is, what does this tell us about God and his plan? And Jesus wants us to see that the kind of king who offers forgiveness, God is that kind of king. He offers forgiveness. He's willing to wipe the slate clean and start fresh. Look at these verses again, starting in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before me, uh, before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You see that? It didn't say he waited until the guy paid him back or gave him a second chance to pay him back. It said he canceled the debt. Canceled the debt. Jesus is telling Peter and the others that if this is how God is, then this is how you are to be. He's saying, following me doesn't just mean accepting my forgiveness. It also means that you extend forgiveness to others. So what does Discovery Bible Study uh, tell us uh, about uh, what we're supposed to do. That's one of the questions we always ask is, is, if we believe this passage is true, then what does it mean for me? What must I do? If this is what God is like, then what must I be like? What does forgiveness look like? And I think the, the most obvious point of this, this narrative is that we, we know that we are truly grateful, that we truly understand the weight of God's grace, 
in our lives that, that, that God has forgiven us so much, when we truly believe and receive that, then we take on his posture and become people of grace and forgiveness towards others. It's not just about what we receive, it's about what we extend to others. Now, before we go any further, I want to be clear on a couple of things because um, this, this passage, this chapter, Matthew 18, has actually been uh, used to um, try to control people in abusive situations. Uh, people in abusive uh, relationships or even abusive churches, these, past, these words sometimes are used to force people into reconciliation, right? The responsibility is totally put on the victim of the abuse to forgive, it goes something like this. Well, Jesus says you have to forgive. So if you don't forgive, you're not being a faithful Christian. You're not being faithful to Jesus. I've actually seen this used to coerce women who, uh, who've been abused to stay in their marriages and endure abuse unless they want to be considered the bad guy because they wouldn't forgive and live out Jesus' word. And this, this alone, using this passage to force people back into abusive situations, is abuse itself. Let me be clear about that. It's spiritual abuse. Using Jesus' words to coerce people toward fake reconciliation with their abusers who are unrepentant, who do not change. And I just want to say, I think it's important for me to mention this because we have to be clear on this. This can't be tolerated in churches and it can't be tolerated in our homes. We are called to protect the vulnerable, not endanger them. So I just say, say to anyone in here who's ever suffered any kind of abuse, please don't add any guilt upon your shoulders to the pain you've already experienced. Forgiveness means canceling the debt that somebody owes you, but it doesn't mean you give them your credit card and access to all your bank accounts too, right? In the same way, forgiveness for you doesn't automatically mean that you can trust the person has hurt you. Maybe they haven't changed and maybe the pain is too deep. Forgiveness for you may not mean that you have to restore the relationship to what it once was because sometimes that's impossible. Sometimes we need to forgive from afar. I'm going to tell you that's okay. And please don't let people use Jesus' words to coerce you into anything. He's a, he's a burden lifter. He doesn't put burdens on us. Okay. That aside, I think it's important that we hear that. But what Jesus is talking about here is kind of everyday relationship stuff. He's talking about brothers and sisters, us, the family of God, the people that you're close with in your life. Every day, each of us makes selfish and self-centered decisions, and it impacts people around us. Sometimes those decisions cause just minor annoyance. Sometimes the consequences are deep pain. And so what does forgiveness look like in our day-to-day -day relationships where healing can truly happen? Well, the first thing is this. Forgiveness means we don't keep score. I think that's important. It doesn't mean we forgive and forget. Like, our brains don't work like that. We're, we don't forget easily, right? But it means to truly forgive someone is to no longer hold their debt against them. You say, I forgive you, but in your back pocket, for five years down the road, when the next big conflict comes up, you can pull it out and say, but you did this. And you're like, whoa, I thought we dealt with that. I thought you forgave me. I changed. I'm not that person anymore, right? Forgiveness means we don't keep score. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it's these two comedians just talking about like doing comedy about uh, being married, and they both have these bits about keeping score. And the one guy was like, when you keep score, it's like saying you're on a team together, but you're in a really bad losing streak because <laughs> nobody wins when we keep score, right? Keeping score is not a healthy practice in relationship. If we forgive, 
we truly have to set that person free from that debt they owe us, right? But forgiveness is messy and it takes time. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily decision not to hold the offense against another person. And every instance is not the same because reconciliation takes more than just a willingness on your part to forgive me. It takes two people. You may be willing to forgive me, but that doesn't mean I'm repentant. That doesn't mean I'm willing to change and own my responsibility. And so reconciliation can't fully take shape without two people, one willing to repent and change, the other one willing to forgive. And there's two sides to this, right? There's the person forgiving, and then there's the person who's done the wrong. And we're both of those people sometimes. As we read these passages, we have to remember that, that we better hope that people are forgiving with us because we cross the line. We do the selfish and self-centered things too. And so we have to be people who drop our pride in when someone is telling us how we hurt them. We have to be willing to listen. It's hard. Every situation is messy, and they're not all the same. But how do you own your part and work to be better? I think that's one of the things about this passage that are really important, the willingness to say, I was wrong, and I want to do it differently. Reconciliation takes time for trust to rebuild. If someone has forgiven you for something, don't act like everything should just go back to normal like that. Realize that they are trying to think the best of you by forgiving you. They're trying to, to, to regain trust, and that just takes some time. It takes patience on both sides of the equation, and forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't real consequences to your actions, right? When we hurt each other, when I hurt you, I'm the one who messed up the relationship, right? So I can't put all the pressure on you to do the healing of the relationship. It's going to take time, and it's going to take both people committing to it. But do you see how messy this all is? Relationships are so hard. They're so hard. Jesus knows this, and that's why he, he doesn't give us a formula. Here's how many times you forgive. He just says, I want you to be people of forgiveness. It's hard, but I want you to practice forgiveness. If God can forgive you for everything that you've ever done, then we've got to try to forgive each other. Forgiving others, the last thing I want to say about forgiveness is forgiving others is good for you. It's not just good for the one who owes the debt. It's actually good for you. You know, I, there was a time when I was in college, and uh, I won't use names or details because our services are online, and I'm actually the bad guy in the story, but I, you know, I, don't like, I don't like to throw people under the bus. But um, somebody did something to me. A friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, did something that felt like they were going behind my back, and I was really deeply hurt by this. And I just iced him out completely. Like, I didn't bring my complaint to him. I didn't say, hey, what's going on? I just ignored him. For a long time, like a ridiculous amount of time, I was so stubborn. That question we answered earlier, I'm stubborn. <laughs> and, and, and I just was like, no, I'm done. I don't, I don't even want to be friends with this person anymore. I just, I just, if I never talk to him again, I'm fine. I really was that stubborn. My heels were dug in. And what I realized about it is I was actually poisoning myself. I wasn't just angry. I was gossiping about this person to other people and telling them how bad a person he is because look what he did to me. I was thinking about all the mean things I could say, not to try to heal the relationship, but to just tear him down. I'm sitting, I'm just letting this build up inside me and it's not good. And I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the fact that God has forgiven so much. 
He showed me so much grace, grace and patience, and I was unwilling to do it. What do you think that did to my relationship with Christ? It was not good. I pulled away. I was so self-righteous in that time that I couldn't let God break through. I couldn't imagine different possibilities. There's a cliche that says it's like you're drinking poison to hurt the offender. I was drinking poison so that I could hurt this other person who wronged me. Now, thankfully, eventually reconciliation did happen. We were able to talk things out, and it was more of a big misunderstanding than anything, but it all could have been avoided if I had just started with that, that, that mindset of God has given me so much grace. Instead, I just heaped burdens upon myself by not forgiving. I love this from um, N.T. Wright. He's writing about this parable. He says, forgiveness is just like air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself, and you will suffocate very quickly. Whatever the spiritual, moral, or emotional equivalent of the lungs may be, we sometimes say the heart, but that, of course, is a metaphor as well. It's either open or closed. If it's open, able and willing to forgive others, it will also be open to receive God's love and forgiveness. But if it's locked up to the one, it will be locked up to the other. This is a hard lesson to learn. That was my experience. My closeness to, to forgiveness and reconciliation in my friendship eventually slowly led to a close, closed mindset and a closed heart towards God. When we don't forget, we are carrying around a burden ourselves. And in the process, we close off the path to healing. Even in the extreme circumstances of serious harm and abuse, we need to find some way to forgive, even if it's just for ourselves. It may not look like restored relationships in this life, but to have the most complete form of healing possible, we strive to forgive, to let go, to not let, let what's been done to us define us as a person. To say, that awful experience that happened, that was an event in time, but it does not define me and it does not define my whole story. I'll forgive you because I want to draw near to God and take on his posture and be like him. And in that, I'm strong, I'm not weak. In that, in what, in that what you've done to me doesn't have power over me anymore. I give him control and let him be the judge. And as a powerful thing, it allows healing to occur. But I also want to point out, though, that when we do that, it's not like, oh, well, no big deal. No, what we see in this is, is when, at the end of the story, there's justice. The king doesn't let this guy off the hook. He sees him. He's like, wait, I forgave you all that debt, and then you're going to go and treat people like this? No, 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 no. There's got to be justice for that. The king holds him accountable. And I don't know exactly what that justice looks like. But Jesus uses some strong words here, and the best thing we could say is, I don't want to be on that side of the equation. But it also lets us know this. God sees everything. He sees the wrongs that are done to you and to me, and he does fight for his children when they are hurt and taken advantage of. That's the kind of king and father God is. And so it's messy. I'd love to tie this up in a neat bow, but there just isn't one. Relationships don't work like that. It's difficult. 
But we're left with this. We're left with Jesus telling us God's posture toward you is grace. He wants to forgive you. He wants to restore a healthy relationship with you. God's forgiveness, it doesn't just wipe the slate clean. It actually opens the possibilities, new possibilities for us. We can be different. We can receive healing, and then we can be a force for healing in the world. One of my favorite examples of this, the Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? He has this experience that opens up his eyes to all the wrong he had been doing. And when he understands the grace available to him, what does he do? He goes and extends that. He goes out, and it turns into charity for others. It turns into celebration with others. It turns into relationships being healed. And, and they eat goose for some reason. Why do they eat goose on Christmas? Anyway. <laughs> he doesn't just get back to level playing field. He becomes a proactive part of good all around him, for others around him. Forgiveness allows for new life where there was once death. So the question we have today is, will we do whatever we can to be a people of grace, to be a people who forgive that mirror the God who is a God of grace and forgiveness? Will we, will we make possible restored, healthy relationships to make new things possible to see life where there was once death? So I leave us all with this question to just kind of ponder before we uh, sing and respond in worship. Is there anyone who's hurt you that you need to, to work on forgiving? Is there anybody that you've, you've been holding a grudge? Maybe it's just for a couple days, but maybe it's years that you need to take steps towards forgiveness. Is there anyone that you've hurt that you need to apologize to, that you need to change your ways, that you need to make peace with? Let's just take a moment right now and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let God speak to you. And pray every day this week, God, is there someone that I need to make peace with? Is there peacekeeping I need to do in my relationships? And show me who and show me how. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for um, these pictures, these parables, because they show us your heart. Thank you that you are a God who does not hold our sins against us, that our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. Help us to believe that and receive it, God, is, is hard to do. And Lord, I pray that, that we would not just receive forgiveness, but we would extend forgiveness to others, that we would see ourselves in this parable, knowing that, that we've been forgiven such a great debt, Every action, every thought, every word that's torn others down or that's been in rebellion against you, God, you, you freely forgive us. You, you cancel the debt through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we do. We, we ask you to make us people like that, people of peace, of grace, and forgiveness. Lord, help us to live this out, not just believe it, not just think it, not just hope it, but actually live it out for new possibilities to come as we extend grace to those around us. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.